2: Hi, everyone. I'm Greg Bluestein, AJC's political reporter and co-host of the acclaimed podcast, Politically Georgia. I'm thrilled to be hosting this special AJC town hall in partnership with only in Cartersville, Bartow at the CMII here on Georgia State University's beautiful campus in downtown Atlanta. To those of you here in person and to those of you watching live, welcome. The mission of the AJC is to become the most essential and engaging source of news throughout Atlanta, Georgia and the South. Georgia is arguably the most important state in the nation in this election cycle, and in a country so divided, we're honored to host one of the most prominent members of the U.S. Senate. Joe Manchin is the senior U.S. Senator for the state of West Virginia. He was sworn into the Senate in 2010 after serving as both Governor and Secretary of State of West Virginia. And as one of the most independent voices in the country, we're so excited to hear what he has to say today. Please join me in welcoming Senator, Senator Manchin. Thank you all, Senator. Thanks for coming here. Well,
3: thanks for having me. And
2: we're going to keep this light. I'm going to ask and you thanks questions. Thanks, Georgia State, for yeah. having me.
3: I appreciate it very much.
2: I'm going to ask you questions for the first twenty or so minutes, and then we're going to open up to sure. some questions from the audience. But first, why are you here? You're in you're in a battleground Georgia. I was in South Carolina in last night,
3: and I was uh, spoke at. Uh, uh, pints in uh, politics. It's a kind of a ritual you go through and a lot of people are interested and a lot of people come through there. This morning at the Citadel, gives you a whole nother flavor in South Carolina, what's going on and here in Georgia today. So I'm just, uh, I'm just proud to be part of this and it's a listening tour, really. I really want to hear from you all. What are you thinking about the politics and how our country's being run and what's happening or not happening in Congress and is politics so toxic that it makes you as uh, mad as it does me? Well, Senator, you've kept the suspense up on what you're doing next. Yeah. Uh, you've well, already announced- No, I'm not doing, I'm not running for United States Senate. And we before. know
2: you're not doing that. You announced a few months ago you weren't running. That. Actually, yeah. you were in Athens, Georgia, right after you announced, made that announcement. Correct. At the symposium for the late Senator Johnny Isaacson, which I'll uh-huh. ask you about in a second. But the clock is ticking. So what has to happen before you'll decide whether to throw your hat
3: in the ring? Well, first of all, it's not about me running. And this is, I'm not here campaigning. I'm here to try to see how do we bring the country back together? I've been in the Senate, this will be my 14th year. I've been in politics since 1982. I've done a little bit of everything. I said I had a hard time keeping a job as far as in the political arena. I've been a state delegate, I've been a state senator, I've been secretary of state, I've been governor for two terms, and then I've been uh, United States senator for four, uh, going on 14 years. And I've come to the conclusion we're not gonna fix it in Washington. It, it, it can't be fixed and I'll tell you the reasons why. It's a business. It's truly a very profitable business. The Democrat business and Republican business is doing just great in Washington. So they're making you pick a side. They want you to be as divided as you can, and they want to weaponize the process that we have. And they want basically that if you're going to pick this side and you want to be on the Democrat side, then the Republican should be your enemy. If you want to be on the Republican side, then the Democrat should be your enemy. Trust me, we have enough enemies around the world. We shouldn't be enemies. We can be opponents, we can have different ideas. We've got to come together, but the bo- the model is so profitable that they don't want to change Because it becomes more toxic and toxic and you says this would really help the country You mean you all can't come together on something border. We'll talk about that I'm sure mm-hmm. the greatest crisis we face today is the border, but you don't want to shut down completely to worry legal immigration We are a country of immigrants look around We're, we got here someone wanted a better life now But illegal immigration is what we're seeing today. And people taking advantage of the system and we've got to secure that border. And then we hear that, well, don't think it's gonna happen because Donald Trump has told some of my Republican friends and colleagues they shouldn't do anything this year. Let's use that as as fodder for the the election. That's not what we're sent to Washington to do. If I'm gonna do something, and, and I always said, if people are putting themselves before their country then they're in it for the wrong reason. And you can tell that, you can. In West Virginia, uh, my little state and beautiful little state, we can shake your hand, look in your eyes and see your soul. We know what you're thinking. We know if you think I'm BSing you or not. They wanna hear the streets. And if I can go home and explain it, I can vote for it. If I can't explain it, I don't vote for it. They can't put no pressure. You know what pressure is in the political arena? When you're trying to play to the crowd Mm -hmm. because you never have the same story. you always think, what did I say here, what did I say? If you are who you are, and it doesn't change, I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle like most people. I say I'm fiscally responsible, socially compassionate. 55% of Americans are here. You run your life from this to this, center left, center right. You don't run it from the extremes, and if you do, you don't run it very successful. It's always in turmoil, and that's what we're seeing. So we're the, the loudest voice, and with all the social media, and I said, you're entitled to your own opinion, you're just not entitled to create your own facts to support your opinion. But today on social media, you can find someone that'll support your, your thoughts. Pretty much anything you say. Well, yeah.
2: Senator, I wanna build on that because you're spending a couple of months touring the country right now sure. talking to what you call the politically homeless. Why do you think the two major pol- political parties aren't resonating with people like the people? Well, what's this
3: happened ground? is just what I've said. They've, they've weaponized it. People, I, I was asked at the Citadel this morning, what has happened since I've been involved in politics? What has happened? The greatest changes I've seen. Up until 2005, it wasn't like this. We didn't, we just didn't go at it. I don't know what did it. I don't know whether social media did it. I don't know whether so many people have an access and, and there's, there's very little camaraderie anymore and people don't mix as well as they did before. But it started getting weaponized when senators and congresspeople started campaigning against each other. So here we're working together and you're a senator. You might be the Democrat, I might be the Republican. You gave me the motion. <laughs> so we're, we're, and here we're working together. Now, all of a sudden, you're up, you're up for uh, what we call, you're in cycle. You're up for election. So two years, as soon as it starts after the last election, you're in cycle. Now you're supposed to be my arch enemy. And you've been my friend for four years in your six year term. Oh, yeah. Now all of a sudden, I'm supposed to basically write a check to anybody who's gonna run against you and the other party. So if I'm in a Republican party, then any Republican that runs against you is a Democrat, I've gotta be four or vice versa. This is the way the system is. It was never like that before. No one ever campaigned against each other. It's a hostile working environment. If you go to uh, your job and every day you have your fo- coworkers trying to get you fired, it's not a good working environment. It's just so much tension, and you know someone's trying to undercut you. We go every day if you're in cycle, knowing that not only are they expected to do it, some of them pleasureize in doing it. Want to show how what their moxie is? So they write checks. They even go to your state against you, mm-hmm. and this is supposed to be your buddy or your or your colleague. And then on Monday, they come back and say, well, can we sit down and work on this bill together? Human nature doesn't want you to do that. It won't let you do it. It just kind of bottles you up. So I've tried to even pass a piece of legislation to be an ethical violation to campaign against each other. Whoever you want to send from Georgia, I'm going to do everything I can to make them my friend and help them. I want them to be successful for Georgia, and I want them to help me for West Virginia, but most importantly for our country. And that's the way it should be, but it hasn't. So I have tried everything I can. People says, why are you not running again? Because I was afraid I would win and have another six year sentence. <laughs> I know we can be changed here. I know it can't be changed there. Unless you all say enough's enough.
2: Well, you sure sound like someone who is at least considering a third party run. So I'm what are you waiting for? i doing
3: anything I possibly can to help my country. Do I have a burning desire? No, do I have a burning desire to save the country? Because I really think that we're beginning to get ourselves into a situation that might not be as easy to recover as we would like. We've gone through some tough times. For those of us who are old enough to remember the 60s, I mean, I thought my world came to an end when John Kennedy got assassinated. If the President of the United States can be assassinated, then no one's safe, okay? And then I saw Martin Luther King get assassinated, and I saw Bobby Kennedy get assassinated, and I saw America burning in every major city in America. I said, how in the world can we make it through this? Are we gonna survive the 60s? I didn't think so, but we did, we're Americans. We come back, we come back. Well, what are you waiting for? If, if you think you can have the solution to well, bring it's, it's Americans a, together, then yeah. why are you you? Well, I'm, 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 I, it's a very difficult, challenging thing. What we're doing, my daughter Heather's with me and she started about a year ago and she said, Dad, you understand the business? I said, what do you mean, honey? Because you know, I never did look at politics as a business. It's an opportunity to serve. And I'm, I'm the old JFK throwback, that's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for it. And I'm thinking, well, it's still the noblest of all professions, so it's public service. It's not self-service. She says, nope, there's a business, Dad. You've got to understand this business. And Heather laid it out, and by golly, it is a business, and it's a big business. And it's not based around policy, because if it was policy, that means you and I would be able to identify the problem. And then you might have one way of solving it, and I might have a different idea. And if we work long enough, we're going to figure out, let's do this. And if you can move the ball and think about this. Politics right now everyone the perfect is going to be the enemy of the good The easiest thing in a political and a political setting is to vote. No It'll be the happy retirement home. Just vote. No all the time. Don't do anything Just be no because it's not good enough. It just wasn't perfect enough We just didn't fix it the way we should have fixed it. So I'm, I can't vote for that and we're in that position right now and uh, and, and what happens you become a, it's a stalemate and it's been weaponized. You're expected to pick a side and fight like the Dickens against your enemy. And that's not who I am. And it's not where the majority of the country is. Now, what happens when they come back and they want you to believe, that okay, we're all in the middle. Well, you're not in the middle. I, I know your voting record. And I know what you've done. You stopped and you blocked things. You vote no. Uh, and uh, uh, I want to try to awaken uh, the, the majority middle. And that's what we try. Americans Together is a movement trying to let you know you can change how the primaries are. You can raise enough cane with your legislature and start a movement yourself to where you said, listen, I've got some good people. They just don't have political backing, don't have the money, but they want to be involved. And this is a good person that should be involved. Well, if you have ranked choice voting or a majority voting, people can get involved without all the support of a political machine or a lot of money and this and that and it gets better ideas.
2: Well, Senator, I wanna talk about awakening the middle in your words, because awakening the middle could also help hurt your ally, former uh, current president, Joe Biden, who you consider a friend and ally. This is what he said upon your retirement or your announcement you weren't running for another term. He said, you've been dedicated to serving the people of West Virginia for more than 40 years. He worked with you as a senator when he was vice president, now president, why consider a challenge that could you could play the spoiler? You could be the reason. Well, for- I'll
3: never be a spoiler. If I think I'm going to throw the election one way or another, and I'm going to hurt somebody or give someone an advantage, I would never do that. I'd have to see a clear opening if I was going to be involved. or I think anybody in that situation at third, you know, why do we end up with uh, why did we end up just with a duopoly? You know, and I'll never forget. I mean, if you ever read the, the uh, farewell address of uh, George Washington, see George Washington's only going to run for one term, four years. He was convinced to run the second four years because there was so much discourse between Alexander Hamilton and Adams and them. They were fighting politics. And he said, I'll do one more term. And he turned himself out. And in his farewells dress, he said, beware the political parties which will usurp the power from the people. He was so right in 1796, he's still right today. It's come full circle. So there's an awful lot of things that we can do, but that's a tough one, the third party, okay? Mm -hmm. And it should never be a spoiler. But there's never been a time like this. When you have 60 or 70% of the respected parties aren't really enamored with what they have offered to them, but the system is so closed. It's a closed system and, and you have Nikki Haley doing what she's saying, are trying to shut it down on her. She still has plenty of money to run, God bless her. Keep it, keep it going, okay? And then the Democrat party, when a person, whether, whether Bobby Kennedy or not, but you have a Kennedy who's a descendant of former President John Kennedy, and can't participate in a Democratic primary, something's wrong with the system. I do want to ask you more about Nikki Haley because P- Donald Trump
2: has declared the race over. Joe Biden has declared the Republican primary for president over. You just said Nikki Haley should stay in. Why?
3: Oh, no, I think people need options. They need to see and they need to hear the differences right now. Uh, you know, and I'll be very candid with you on this. And I have said that, you know, you, the only fair election when a person, if I believe the only fair election was when I won, that's not democracy. And if you believe that the only rule of law depends, uh, r- relates to you and not me, I don't have to live by those rules, that's not democracy. And if I try to basically uh, denigrate and, and, and just this visceral hatred and spilling and, uh, and like school heart, schoolyard uh, talk that when your kid's growing up and you do say nasty things, you don't know what you're saying and, you, and it hurts people. And grown ups doing that and the leaders of our country doing that, it's not democracy. It's not how we become the country we are. So those type of things, can she bring something out? Can she get more competitive? You only have two, you've had two primaries, okay? Super Tuesday will pretty much tell you where you stand. Super Tuesday will.
2: And, and that goes back to another question. Is the fundamental primary nominating process we have, is it broken? Is it flawed? And how well, do you Well in some states
3: it? it is. You know, that's a state by state. 13th Amendment, state rights. You can decide what type of a system you have in your, in your state, mm-hmm. your state legislature, your, your parties and everything else. So if you're a registered Democrat, and you want an open primary? Then you're going to say basically, I want independents to be able to come in, and if they want to be a vote in a Democratic primary, they should be able to. Or you can have an open primary. It's kind of hard to, to it's kind of hard to corral or to to manipulate open primaries. The more you have involved, the more people that are able to vote, and the easier voting is, the better control you have a democracy. When they kind of shut it down, and and this has been a tough, you know, I don't mean to tell you all. I don't think there's been more recounts that have been in Georgia. uh, And uh, you've got two fine senators that I work very well with. And uh, you know, if you talk to the Republican leaders here in the state, they said the election, we counted it more times than not. The election is validated. It was accurate we've done a good job. And Joe Biden is the duly elected president.
2: And I wanna ask you more about that in a second, but I wanna go back to what you said about you don't wanna play the spoiler. Let's put it this way, though. Trump got 46% of the vote in 2016 and he won. He got 47% of the vote in 2020 and he lost. And part of the reason was because there was more third party candidates. So how, if you end up running, how would you not play the spoiler?
3: Well, and you're talking about, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. No, you could, there's, there's, there's third parties running now. you yeah. got independents running, you got three. As I, at my last count, yeah. is there any more?
2: As far as I know, there's three, there might, there might be a fourth, <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. But if you jump in the race, yeah. which is a potential, how I, do you not take I've never take away gotten in any races, Democrats? I've
3: never been in any competition in my life that I, that I didn't think I could win. So I would have to evaluate everything very, very carefully. My main concern is, is there a movement? Do you understand what you can do? We're trying to, and with what we have and the support that we've had, we're gonna be supporting candidates, whether Democrat, Republicans, or independents, that'll put, basically, the country before the party, uh, and, and and people that are willing to work in the middle, people that aren't gonna be subservient to a political ideology. There's a lot of things in the Democratic Party I don't agree with, but I have a deep my name. There's a lot of things in the Republican Party that I do agree with and don't agree with, but the bottom line is it doesn't guide me who I am. I'm the most independent for the last 12, 13, 14 years, Now I'll be the most independent uh, person in 535.
2: Well, I, want to I ask vote more
3: in the middle than anybody. Well,
2: I want to ask you about independence because here in Georgia, Donald Trump, of course, went to war with Governor Brian Kemp and other Republican incumbent and other Republican right. leaders. But most of them are still saying, including the governor, that they'd still support him if he's the nominee because in, in Brian Kemp's words, he's better than, than, than Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. Has party loyalty gone too far? In, oh, in
3: my eyes, it has. Yeah, you can't be blinded. You know, uh, I was just as a Citadel under duty and character. That's what, that's, that's what they profess. That's who they are. They live by honor, duty, and character every day. So think about honor. Think about duty and think about character. And when you're talking about it, they, uh, they gave me something. i do just remember where I put it. But anyway, it was, it was very good at how, they, how it uh, played out and what they gave me. And they said, you know, an honor uh, and duty and character is the flaws or either the character of a person is shown. And... Um, and respect, you know. if you can't show respect and honor a person's worth, that's what you're basically denigrating, that's not leadership. And if you can't show some honor and duty of who you are and why you're doing what you're doing and basically what you live by, then how do you expect other people to follow? That's the thing. So the quality of the character, the quality of the candidate means everything. When people are coming to you, the you know, first thing I always ask is, why do you want, to, why do you want the job? If they can't give me an answer completely, I mean immediately, then I'm thinking that this person's looking for something more than just doing a public service job.
2: Well, Senator, let me turn that question on you then. So if you were to run, why would you want the job?
3: Oh, I think bringing our country together right now, first of all, we have a border that's in horrible shape. It's the greatest crisis we're facing today. It's absolutely the greatest crisis. And Democrats, I think, were too lean on that and they let this thing get out of control. They need to go and secure the border. But on the other hand, the Republicans now are playing politics, don't want it because they think it's a good tool for them to give them a hands up or give them an advantage in, their, in the November election. 2013, we had a bill that we passed in the Senate. We would not have had immigration problem today, it had been done. And we passed it with 69 senators, Democrats and Republicans couldn't get through the House because of the extreme Tea Party right. Could not get through the House. would not even put on the floor for a vote. So I've seen politics intervene to stop good policy that made our country stronger. How do you change that? You change basically the process of you get people involved in these things and trying to get good candidates. I would, I would campaign for a Republican, an independent Democrat equally. Give me the right person. I'm gonna campaign, I'll, I'll, I'll write a check and help you.
2: Now, I've seen what you've said before about Donald Trump, but I have to ask again, if Donald Trump ends up winning the Republican nomination, would you support him over Joe Biden? If, if Donald Trump ends up winning- Absolutely
3: not. No, I've said this. There's no way I love my country too much to support Donald Trump.
2: <laughs> now, you mentioned earlier the
3: I couldn't do that.
2: You mentioned earlier all the election fraud lies that we heard here in Georgia. We, we were ground zero for a lot of those election fraud lies. You're a former Secretary of State. How can the country restore trust in elections when one of the candidates, Donald Trump, continues to stay the election, stay the election was stolen when it clearly You got was one not?
3: person against the officials you have, the duty elected and sworn. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was Secretary of State, and that we take an oath. All of us take the oath. And that's the most sacred thing that Secretary of State can do to make sure you have a fair and open election. And we always had competition, who can get the most votes, who get the biggest percentage of votes. As Secretary of State, we would be talking in Georgia and all, we have meetings all the time and how'd you get so many percentage, what'd you do differently? Well, we had early voting, okay, mm-hmm. or we had basically, we tried to make voting easy as we possibly could because people have difficult lives, they work, they can't get off, this and that, they don't have a way to get to the polls. We had mail-in voting, we had different things that we knew that we could basically control and certify and done properly. And we were always doing that. Now all of a sudden, they're starting to suppress it. Oh no, we don't want this, we don't want this demographic voting, we don't want this group voting. It might throw it to a different direction. I'm gonna live with the outcome, okay? I believe in still the power of the, of the people being voting and I've lost one election in all these years, but it was the greatest lesson I ever had. It was the greatest lesson. It wasn't anybody's fault but mine. My message wasn't good enough, I didn't work hard enough, and, and, and my name was on the ballot. But I've seen so many politicians lose, blame everybody around them, everybody's fault but theirs. Well, poll after poll
2: after poll, including the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's most recent poll, show a significant number of voters, including a huge number of Republicans, still don't believe that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. They still uh, have concerns about the integrity of the vote going forward in 2024. Well, they're probably what the same. What message do you have for them?
3: Well, let me just tell you, Donald Trump is wrong, and January 6th happened, I was there, I saw exactly, I, they didn't come for a friendly visit, but they were all ginned up for that, they I mean, it's, it's uh, clear as can be. So when you start looking at the facts, I says you're entitled to your own opinion. If that's what you want to believe, if he's got you believing brainwashed, okay, the facts are very Democrats and Republicans. It's, mm-hmm. It was a valid election, and, and to have to face that, I mean, my goodness, you know, he could tell you that, it's not, that the moon's out right now and as dark as it could be and how many the people still believe it.
2: Yeah, and we're still facing this in Georgia every the, day. So, the,
3: the thing that he, he identified quicker than anybody else, that he said he could shoot someone on, on Fifth Avenue and, and uh, be okay with that, his supporters would. He was absolutely spot on. Now, let me so, say the rest of it. Mm-hmm. For the characters and the flaws that he has or lack of character and basically still yet, or Democrats have to look deep. What have they done? So to walk into a polling place and says, okay, here's Donald Trump, here's a Democrat candidate. I'll take him over that. That's unbelievable to me. So for Democrats to get upset, you should be looking within. I've told them that. You better look deep within. It's something that we're pushing people to that direction. I said, I'm fiscally responsible and socially compassionate, which most Americans are. But if they think that you've lost it or basically you've become elitist and you're not there for us and you're gonna leave me behind, That's what's happened, I think, to the Democratic Party a lot. I'm
2: gonna ask you to do kind of a thought exercise uh, in front of this live audience and live streaming (laughs) audience. Can you just, in one sentence, describe your view of Donald Trump?
3: Oh, he's a charming person. I've been, I I was a new Democrat, I think, that went over and had lunch. We talked about different things and all that. And and, uh, he's very charming and very, very personal. So I can see that, okay? But when it comes to governing and basically how we lead, Uh, I I was always concerned that he didn't understand the scope of of who we are as a country how we became the country that we are We're the superpower of the world because we have other people in the world that want to be part of us They want to be with us. They're our allies. They'll fight with us. They've died with us They've made us who we are. We would not be that without our allies. We have other foreign countries of concern which is China, Russia, North Korea, Iran very very much concerning they do not have our values you can do anything you want, you can say anything. They're never going to be that uh, with us when we need them. And supply chains and all the different things, we've allowed a lot of manufacturing to leave, a lot of good jobs, we've got to bring all that back. And we're working hard. So the economy, I'd say this, we're producing more energy today than ever before. And the reason we are, we had to change a bill and do a bill differently when Putin declared war on Ukraine and he uh, he used energy as a weapon. And if our allies don't have the fuel they need for their economy and take care of their families mm-hmm. and keep from freezing and, and all the things you know, that energy gives you, then we're gonna be in trouble. So we had to start producing more. And we passed the bill, the IRA, to do that. Administration, the Democrat administration, who had, the president had to sign it, my committee and we wrote it, uh, gave us a balance. We're producing the energy we need today with more fossil than ever before while we're investing and more cleaner, greener technology than ever before. So we're gonna have the horsepower to run our country as we have the energy to develop the energy of the future. And that's a balanced approach.
2: I wanna dive deeper into energy because Georgia just saw the first new nuclear reactor come online in about 30 years over at Plant Vogel in the eastern part of the state. It was long delayed and billions and billions and billions of dollars over budget. So, what role do you think nuclear energy can play in the future Big. of our energy? I'm, I'm all
3: in. I'm all in for nuclear because I can tell you, without it, you can't meet your climate
2: well, goals. What lessons did we learn from Plant Vogel? Because
3: well, we Plant Vogel, uh, basically, uh, we hadn't built a power plant. We hadn't built a nuclear power plant since the '90s, and the technicians weren't there, the workmen weren't there, the welders weren't there. Nobody. Would, we just hadn't done it. So you think
2: it set the foundation? It before. set
3: the foundation. But here's what we're going: the small modular reactors (SMRs) they call them or microreactors. One to 50 megawatts. Small modulars are going to be about 300. That's going to be the wave of the future in states like mine. So if we have a coal plant when it finally times out, they're not going to build any new coal plants in America because basically... And you're okay with that? Well, I I still think you need... Let me just tell you what the coal plants... The coal that we have mined and the coal that gave us the energy we have built this country. Made the steel. We've done it all, okay? And that's what happened in my state. My state flipped from being 80% Democrat state when I was governor in 2010 to an 80% Republican mm-hmm. state today, all because they thought they were left behind. They weren't smart enough, clean enough, green enough. And, and this, they said, so the Democrats just left them. But West Virginia
2: is a unique state, you know, dependent on, on the- Well, we're doing history.
3: that, but we're doing an awful lot of things. We've got battery manufacturing coming, we got all this. And if we'd have had that back then, if they want to move, to wind and solar, you have to have dispatchable power. Mm -hmm. You need 24-7. If you want everything by wind and solar, tell me what five hours you want your energy and I'll give it to you. (laughs) If you want 24-7, I've got to give it to you. And you can't run this country without the horsepower to run it. But there's a balance to be had. You can't eliminate your way to a cleaner environment. You can innovate it through technology. You can't eliminate it. The world won't follow you. If they've got something laying in their backyard, they're gonna use it. Show them how to use it better and cleaner.
2: Well, you were the swing vote, obviously, on the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, that's, we wrote the bill. You wrote the bill. Yes. Okay. You ended up, you ended up being, on the
3: energy port that's yeah, that four hundred billion dollars. We wrote, did a hundred billion dollars on the bipartisan infrastructure, all energy portions of it, and we tried to balance it out, and, and it's working.
2: And there's you know there's here in Georgia there's been a, a crush of new investments, thousands, unbelievable, thousands of new jobs, but there's also been backlash. Are there, as it's now going into effect, are there parts of that legislation that you, well, you no, would what, like the, to revisit? And what this is about? where
3: I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in disagreement with the administration how they're trying to implement the bill. The bill was very carefully constructed to have a balance. They're trying to put more EVs out. We're trying to make sure that for the first time in our country that we don't go to a transportation mode that we don't have total control over. I'm old enough to remember waiting in line 1974 to buy gasoline to go to work. I don't want to wait in line for a battery from China i just not going to do it. So this is where they're trying to, they got the cart way in front of the horse. We're trying to pull that back. But the bill is working. We got more energy produced today than ever before. Democrat, Republican administration, ever any in the past, we're doing more today. That bill made this administration do what we needed to do for our country.
2: Well, Senator, I think we have a great sure. question for the audience about that very thing.
4: Hi, Senator. Yes, um, my name's Jordan Madden. Hi, um, I'm from Georgia State here, downtown Atlanta. Um, I have a question, particularly around this topic here. Over the last few years, there has been a growing push to shift to worldwide economic powers uh, towards America. We've seen a rise in industries like electric vehicles and batteries and other carbon um, reducing initiatives spring up all across this country. Here in Georgia, there's a huge shift towards growing the economy and going green at the same time. What are you doing to facilitate an economic shift towards more sustainable and boosting economies that is more efficient and independent of other global powers? And what do you see as our economic driver as we begin to prioritize reducing our carbon footprint?
3: Well, I think basically we can lead the world. Before we did the IRA, we were kind of in the back of the pack, okay, as far as trying to really look upon a a worldwide uh, uh, platform as doing what we could or should do. But on the other hand, is there's, there's the, the, the economy that we have is so much different in so many places in the world. Our economy and our defense of our country depends on having the energy 24 seven, that's called dispatchable. Intermittent, basically wind and solar when it blows until we're able to get the batteries and things of that sort. So you can't stop this because you want this and we don't have this to do what this did. That's all I've said. So we're producing the fossil cleaner than ever before, capturing methane doing everything we can. And, on a, and then what we're doing then from, from that, we're investing more in the technology of the new green technology, more for hydrogen. We've never matured hydrogen, it's been around forever. Geothermal, we're doing. SMR, small modular reactors and nuclear. We're doing all of these things that we, that we can do. We've never invested. So today, and, if I, and I told the president, if they just say, have you heard the word being said that we have more energy security? where it's all about we're spending more for environment. They're trying to play to people that it's all about the environment. I'm as much an environmentalist as anybody, but I'm understanding the reality, I've gotta have 24 seven power. So that being done, with that being done, that's what we're working on. So we have a balance right now, better than we ever have. But we've got some people that said, no, I don't want any fossil whatsoever, shut it all down. No more drilling, no more pipelines, no more this. Now they want transmission lines. Well, you've got to move electricity because new electricity is going to be developed and basically uh, made in different parts of the country we've never used before. Big solar farms, big wind farms, things of that sort. Now we have batteries. In West Virginia, there's a company called Fromm Energy. Fromm. They're building batteries of 1,000 megawatts. 1,000 megawatts for 100 hours of power. 100 hours. Now you're talking. Okay? Now we're doing things we've never done. But we have the ability. So you can't eliminate the environment you want today, but you can innovate the environment that you're going to have tomorrow.
1: Senator, I think we have another question for the audience. Yes, sir. Yes, hi, Senator. I'm James Wilson, also here from Georgia State. Happy to have you. Thank you. Um, So age in politics has been a really big issue for the past couple years. Um, Nikki Haley has been advocating for a mental capacity test for um, older candidates who are seeking higher office. So my first question is, what do you make of that proposal? And my second question is, um, what do you think, how do we kind of balance between what some see as ageism and what others see as... Um, you know wanting younger candidates in office
3: yeah I'm here recruiting you all I want you all in Uh, please run be involved support somebody learn the system but understand you're gonna be you're gonna be saddled with whatever decisions are made whether you want to sell on the sidelines and watch or be involved that's the most important thing age I don't know I'm 76 I feel like I'm 50 or 40 I don't know but you know what sometimes I forget I did that when I was 42 so I don't know. I think that the, the voters will make that decision. If you can't have a have a lucid conversation and talk about things and how it's happening, I can, you know, go back and many many things. But on that, I I just getting more and more young people involved. But this, you're taking basically the uh, the confidence you have in a voter to make that decision. I think, and I think that's what kind of maybe Nikki might have overreached on that one there, saying that you know. I think there should be a lot of tests. <laughs> well, Senator, <laughs> on I mean, certain that, capacities to serve.
2: Yeah, well, on that point, in poll after poll after poll, but also interview after interview after interview, a bipartisan concern is the age of the two leading frontrunners sure, from their parties. Sure. Donald Trump is 77, Joe Biden's 81, you're 76. So, how is your age going to make voters feel better about their concerns? Uh, with-
3: yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. People will make that decision. If there's a pathway forward, and if you think I'm going to be involved or someone else is going to be involved, then age is going to be the factor. I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, I'm trying to encourage younger people to get involved. I know a lot of sharp, good young people that just say enough's There's enough. In this room. Right in this room, but I mean, people who have been involved mm-hmm. in political process. Could step right in, and they don't want to go through it. Enough's enough. And I'll tell you this: when you get involved in politics, pretty much you have a lightning rod. People are coming at you and saying anything they want to. They almost can say anything and do anything. And it's just, it's very hard if you don't have a pretty thick skin. But then you have to start thinking about this and I've told my family this all the time when I was running for any office I said you're gonna hear an awful lot of things it will be very disparaging. You're gonna be very upset and very mad Before you do that and before you want to retaliate back remember That's a small price to pay for the great country that we live in. That's a small price for democracy And I've got to get more people willing to take that and say listen, I'll fight through this
2: We have another question from Let's the see.
0: audience senator. I'm Emory Morseberger I'm a
3: Biden-Warnock Republican from Gwinnett County. Welcome to Georgia. <laughs> Thank you. Good to have you here. My question is, how can we get the country back on track and get people working together again? Yeah. Well, again, it's going to be here, guys. They think that that, that political model in Washington you know, has gotten to the point now to where it just it, it controls a politician's life when they get there. The hardest thing, I will say this. It's, it's, it's not the best transition for a former governor, being one of one of your state to go into one of 100 and being on the back end of the, it's just hard. And the, the patience, you need the patience of Job to survive that, and it takes a while to get into it, but there's so much can be done. There's nothing like the Senate. The Senate's the most august body in the world, nothing like it. And the, uh, the filibuster, you've heard people say, oh, get rid of the filibuster, let's get rid of this. Whoever's in power thinks they can get rid of the filibuster because they want to get some, something through. And the House is meant to be uh, purely a simple majority. 218 rules the roost. You don't even have to talk to the other side. Uh, and, but in the Senate, we've had the filibuster to take 60. So it's made us work together. The only thing that I would caution you all about, if people talk about getting rid of the filibuster or anyone running from Senate would vote to get rid of it, be careful. Because it'll make, it'll the, the Senate will be put on steroids compared to what you think is dysfunctional now in the House. So getting it to work together is going to be people getting the right character of people coming up. You know, I, I don't know. When a person tells you who they are, believe them. Yes. Believe them. If I told you, you elect me and I'm going, I'm going to basically go after every one of my opponents. I'm going to have revenge as far as part of my ability to lead. That's what I'm going to do. Believe them. They'll do it okay and a person's mean-spirited believe (laughs) them that's who they are but senator are there any conditions in which you would
2: uh thank you any conditions in which you would uh, lift the rules of the filibuster there was a huge debate here on voting i I,
3: I tried everything possible in my life i I tried every way i could and i you lift that you can't stop it that's the problem they lifted it for i'll never forget and Bert, but Robert Byrd, you know, the master of the Senate, and he was there for fifty-eight years, my, and, and I took—I'm sitting his seat now. He said, "Joe, let me just tell you how this thing's set up. If the Senate would ever get—we had the filibuster, but at first it was a talking filibuster from 1789 to 1917. Every senator—you cannot—you cannot set a, a senator can talk forever, <laughs> and some of them tried. <laughs> so that—that that was part of it. And then all of a sudden." In 1917, that was World War I, We had some problems uh, supplying our allies. So then we didn't have some some uh, some doves who didn't want us to get in the war. They were trying to hold a vote. Then went to 60 vote th- 67 vote threshold. Mm-hmm. And then in 60s, the I think in the 60s early 70s, well, we've we went, had this
2: problem. Yes,
3: we've had it, but it's always been forced upon. And I give I'll give you the whole premise. The founding fathers said well, we're going to have two two uh, built bodies. We're going to have the house and we're going to have the senate now can you imagine can you imagine someone coming out george washington jefferson adams whoever and says well let me just tell you we're going to have the senate and guess what everybody's going to have two now we had 13 states right the original 13 states so we got Bit Bag, massachusetts we've got pennsylvania we've got the virginia we got all the big power areas and someone says and delaware's going to have two and rhode island's going to have two and they says, my God, we're the, we're the economy. We're doing everything here. We're, we're lifting this country up. And you're going to give those two little states the same authority that I have? Absolutely. We don't want the big guys beating up on the little guys. It's the United States, not the divided states. And if I let you all basically tear each other apart, it'll be the divided states of America. And that was the premise. So when you look at that, there was always supposed to be the Senate a little differently, more of a majority, and that's why we should keep that and they got rid of it for the Supreme Court. They got rid of it for the district and, and circuit courts. That was Harry Reid. Mm-hmm. I begged him not to. And, we, and then basically then you had uh, uh, Mitch McConnell come back and did the filibuster on the other as far as the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. If you did the, did the filibuster on one piece of legislation that has to go through a process, and a committee process, you bypass that because you skipped it with getting rid of the filibuster, simple majority, you're always going to have a simple majority because you have to have a ruling party. You'll be flipping flopping like this and we will not have the rest of the world looking at us for any stability.
2: Do you think it'll set a bad president? I think we have another question.
3: Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry.
2: Hi, Senator. Thank you for being here. Um, my name is Suba Kamal. I'm a freshman here at Georgia State University. And my question is, as an independent, what would your stance be on foreign policy, including on countries like China, Russia, Israel, Ukraine?
3: Well, the whole thing. I mean, it's just we're, we're, the, the world is in in really challenging times. Never have we seen this before. And uh, trying to keep us being drawn into two major wars that are going on, it could develop into much larger, is something that we have to have super diplomacy. And that's working with our allies. You show strength in your allies. When Putin basically invaded Ukraine, and I'll tell you this, I, all of the senators, we were taken down into the skiff in our secured area, way underneath, underneath the, uh, the capital. We have a very secured area. And we were told exactly two things could happen. You've got China going after Taiwan, and you have basically Russia going after Ukraine. They're wanting to put Mother Russia back together, and they're gonna put the dynasty of the, the, the Ming dynasty, if you will, back together, okay? They won this, that was the movement. You had Xi Jinping, you had Putin. You got communist countries, both of them. And this is where they were moving to. And we were told one uh, of those is gonna happen, then, then we were told two weeks later it's gonna be Ukraine, Russia's gonna invade Ukraine, and it'll happen on this day at this time. They hit it right on the nose. Huh. They said the last two weeks. They missed that one missed completely. That one. How did they miss it? There's no way that you, the human nature, they didn't know who Zelensky was. There was no way to know who Zelensky, if, if what this man had and how he could inspire his country to fight for the freedoms that they've been f- dying to have forever, willing to fight and die for it. And we've been able to weaken Russia's uh, aura, if you will, because they always big, bad Russia. We got this and we got that and we can do this and that and everything. And here's Ukraine, other than just our support and our allies' support that has just basically almost crippled them to, to, their, to their world standing. So China has kind of backed off a little bit. They're standing back and watching what happens here. And, uh, and it's just a cat and mouse game. And I really believe one of the, the greatest challenges we have right now is if we don't get some aid to Ukraine for this winter and get them through this horrible time, it could be very, very hard to reverse that if we let it go the wrong direction.
2: A quick follow up on that question. Uh, you are one of two Democratic senators along with Senator Fetterman, of Pennsylvania, not to support a resolution calling for a two-state solution between Israel and Palestine in the Middle East. What is your rejection to the No, I believe in
3: the two-state solution. I always have believed in the two-state like solution. The the huh? You didn't like the wording of oh, the
2: resolution? You didn't like the wording of the resolution?
3: Oh, no, absolutely, because basically you have to have willing partners. The two-state solution, we have been able to force politically because of our support for Israel. We've been able to support them to accept it, even though Netanyahu has rejected it and made it very difficult. But we can do that. We can, we're capable to do that, bring that, that side along. But the Palestinians have to understand they have a right to, to recognize that Israel has a right for statehood. Once you have that, and I said, I'll be the first person to sign on and just beat the living crap out of the Israelis to make sure they sign. But they will, that's not a problem. But I'm not gonna force this because we know it's all going from one side until I see both sides that want to. And that's where your peace comes. Until that happens, you're gonna have no peace.
1: I think we have another question about
2: domestic policy.
1: Yeah. Hi, thank you so much. My name is Hillary Holly from Atlanta, Georgia. So we have millions of working families here in Georgia and across Mm -hmm. the country that can't afford childcare. They can't afford elder care and don't have access to paid leave. And we have businesses that are struggling to employ workers to go and work at these new jobs.
2: So as someone who had issues with the social infrastructure and Build Back Better, how would you
1: address the issues around childcare and Mm -hmm. elder care?
3: Thank you. Build Back Better, and and Build Back Better was very difficult, it was a very far, it was reshaping the whole social justice, if you will. Uh, And it got to the point, and the only thing I said about that is that uh, I don't look at government as being my provider. I look at it as being my partner. Government should be your partner. And we're getting more and more aware that more people are depending on government because I think government wants you to depend on them. And how do we incentivize? How do we give tax breaks to companies small and large to give paid leave and things that you're talking about, childcare. Most of your, most of the uh, really, uh, uh, I think, conscious companies are doing this, they're building it into it now. I'm going to, these new factories being built. They're building in childcare right in their plants. They're doing the whole thing, nurseries and everything else. So this is something. uh, And then basically we we give childcare clear up to $400,000, okay? They get tax breaks. People on the bottom end don't have, they don't don't get that type of of an advantage. So I said, can't you restructure that? We're $34.8 trillion of debt. The debt will be the downfall of this country. Don't worry about another foreign power. They will not take us down. Our debt will take us down, which has taken most governments throughout history. And when that situation happens there, and if we get ourselves in that position, so we've got to get a downward spiral, I mean, a downward tra- trajectory. I, I mean, health care uh, and, and, and the cost of health care, the cost of drugs. I tried everything I could in the IRA to have all of our drugs so we can negotiate. We got, we got $35 on insulin, okay? but the, uh, the child care has been a very difficult one. It's the, the highest cost that we have. They won't change anything. We never take anything away and reevaluate and say, we need more help here than we do here. We just keep adding to it. And that has been the biggest problem I've had. We're trying to put what we call a Fiscal Stability Act together, to take a look and put people together that have to come up and get a vote on the floor that a 15 year trajectory and start prioritizing. If you saw the amount of money we spent when I first came in to Congress, we had $13 trillion of debt. We're at 34 trillion within a little over a decade. It is unsustainable. And I'm not saying that everything you're talking about is needed. The thing I told the president was this, is Mr. President, we've got to be careful that we don't turn our country in for people saying, how much more can my government do for me? How much more can they assist you to help yourself? And that's what we should be doing. I've always said this when I was governor, I, I changed the welfare system in West Virginia because I said, you're making me take care of a healthy poor person The way I have a moral obligation to take care of a very sick poor person. I don't have enough money to do both. So let me help the healthy poor person get back into the workforce. If you give them a cushion or you give them a blanket, they're gonna stay forever. If you let me take care of the morally the person who can help themselves and have no way and no means whatsoever to have any quality of life, that's where I got to put my efforts. So it's just been a whole Priority thing that's a balance act
2: senator, but what do you say to Democrats who saw build back better as the last best chance to expand child I'm sorry. I killed it families?
3: Okay. They want to blame me. I'm, I'm the one that killed it one vote because I've told the president John Kennedy said that's not what you your country can do for you. What you can do for your country I thought that was an overreach and it would basically change the psychic of our nation and it would have we were sending checks and We just couldn't quit sending checks and people basically got a vaccine that worked And we didn't get back to work quick enough, and our inflation went to 9%. Everything that we were showing them is just common sense. It didn't take a mathematician or an economist, just common sense. You had people bent up. They were able to go out, and there was nobody going back to work. I mean, we did so many things, but but we kept from falling into a a total, uh, I think, a total financial crisis. We did that. But we spent $5.2 trillion in doing it. And we're gonna pay a little bit of a price for that, but we're better off than we would have been if it went the other way. Senator, we have another question from the audience. Yes, sir.
1: Senator, I'm back again, I oh. just love you. So, um, one thing that we're talking about in my constitutional law class is the Supreme Court. And one thing that a lot of Americans agree on is that the Supreme Court has become too political. Um, advocates on the far right Um, Advocate for things like packing the court or adding term limits for the justices while advocates on the far right um, They want to accept the status quo. So what solution would you market to an independent voter
3: for an independent voter? I will tell you this I believe in term limits and I believe that Supreme Court should have one 18 year term I believe the president would have one six-year term would be good for our country and I believe that in Congress I can assure you speaking from experience two six-year terms is enough for the Senate and six two-year terms for the House. It's very fair, and you get turnover. Let me just tell you how I come to that conclusion. Years ago, I never was for that because I always believed I said, you know, so many good people. And boy, I'll tell you, if you turn them out, you'll get rid of some, all the knowledge you have. And I kept thinking. I was at a down in southern West Virginia one day, and I did a town hall. And a little lady got her name was Susie, and she got up and she said, Joe, she says how come i really want this town term, term limits and i said susie no you're going to lose the best you're going to lose the people with all the experience you don't want to do that susie she said joe think about this if we had term limits maybe we get one good term out of you i couldn't argue with her i said she convinced me i said you're right we get one good because all the we had so many bright young people and our staffs can they they, they run today oh,
2: nice.
4: oh, he's back we're, again we're back with another question yes. hot dog here we got georgia state's going strong i know i know um, okay, here's a good one for you. What role do you believe the federal government plays in educating its citizens across the country, and what will you do to prioritize more resources in our public schools where most of Americans send their children to school um, that fully prepares the future generation let, for Americans? That's
3: resources? a great question because i tell you one thing. that We have fallen so far behind. I think we rank 35th in the world now in education. In the 60s, we were first. I went to a, a, I was at a, 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 a venue and it was about education and, and a person says, how many of you had, were educated in the 1950s and 60s? Uh, nobody in this room but me. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so those of us who are old enough raised our hand. They said, you got the best education the United States of America has ever given. I said, really? I said, why? He said, you had, the, you had the smartest, best female teachers that we ever created because they had nowhere else to go. It was either healthcare as a nurse or teaching. That's all they had up until the movement and the women's movement in, in the late 60s early 70s and I never I never realized that i never realized and I kept thinking my goodness I had some of the greatest teachers they got everything out of me they pushed us and then we never kept and we never paid them well because you know what it's usually second income more traditional homes to two, two parents traditional and and it was a second income so there wasn't a lot of demand I need more money need more money I can't work because it's just the way it was and we never, ever kept up with the time. We never switched in and evaluated. If it wasn't for education, if it wasn't for the GI Bill after World War II, we wouldn't be the country we are. We educated more people off the GI Bill than anything. And I mean, our economy just poof, poof just went wild. And education is, the, is a great equalizer. And we're not paying well enough, we're not tracking the best and brightest, and we don't, hi, hi, we don't hold them at the highest, stature, you know, social status that we should in our country. In other countries you talk, kids are going to school six days a week. They're going to school. I mean, that's education. I just talked to some foreign students. They came into my office and every time they're over, there's exchange students. Mm-hmm. I said, tell me about the education. It's all oh, we love it here. We love it. And I said, is it, is it, is it difficult? Well, not quite <laughs> They want to be nice. They're trying to be, and they said, some things were, that you, we get pushed on, but not a lot. They said, so it's not as demanding. And it's more fun. You all have more fun in education. Our education is, we have, I mean, they're talking and this was from Germany. We have no sports, nothing at all. We have boom, 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 education. And they said, that's it. Now everything else is done on the side. So you have like mural sports. It's mm-hmm. not, they, they, and they really enjoyed the, the team spirit and all that. But the effort that they put towards education and the way their culture is, is more towards that. And I'll give you one final. I was in Beijing, China. My wife's a big educator, and we were setting, and, and she wanted to really talk to these exemplary students who went to sixth grade. And they all speak very good English because they got dual language, they're mandatory. And my wife asked the question, What do you like about America? What do you like about America? And the little girl, she was as bright as could be, she said, What would you like? She said, I wish I could think like Americans. Now, when she told me that, that means she can't think. She don't have the freedom to think she can be anything she wanted to be. And she hasn't made her mind up yet. Hmm. They know if they don't, for the first nine years of education, don't excel, they're going to be given a lot in life of what they're going to be doing the rest of their life. And I just couldn't. I mean, when she says, I wish I could think like Americans. Think about that. But we have to, we have to pick up the pace. We've got to pay and attract and, and hold them at the highest status that we have.
2: Well, Senator, on that note, you are surrounded here by young people mm-hmm. here at the beautiful campus of Georgia State University, yeah. downtown Atlanta. So what advice do you, a lot of them want to go into public service. We talked to some of them before, uh, before this program began, and many of them want to follow in your footsteps, run for US Senate, run for, run for public office. How do you tell them not to be cynical? You've been here for in, in office for more than a decade. 42 and, years. 42 years, but more than a decade in Washington. 12 years. And 42 well, I, years so, I've had some of the
3: greatest. I've met some of the greatest people. I've seen all the world. I've been able to do things. I was able uh, to get pensions done for people that almost were losing their pensions because of bankruptcy courts were taking it away from them. I fought that. But how do you tell them to be upbeat? You know, there is a lot of cynicism Uh, in Washington. Here's the thing about it, there's there's a tour duty. Politics doesn't have to be your life, but you have to give something back to your country. You've got to do something. Public services is inherent in all of us. I'm afraid that you all don't know, or maybe we're not instilling in you all enough the national pride that you should have as an American. We've made a lot of mistakes, but boy, I'll tell you one thing. We've done a lot of good things, too. And we've helped the world in many ways. We have. But right now, we become very cynical and we get down on ourselves. Okay? And the things, when I knew things were broken, maybe beyond repair, the gun laws. I come from a gun state. In West Virginia, everybody has guns. You're taught at a young age, gun sense, and this and that. And then the, uh, the uh, new, uh, uh, Sandy Hook, mm-hmm. those 20 little babies got slaughtered just horrible. And I'm thinking, can't we at least have a background check? Why, why would there be loopholes? Can't we do some things, responsible ownership? Can't we do mental evaluations? Can't we do some things? You know, every gun owner that I know of is a responsible person. They won't sell their gun to a stranger. They only give, they will not even loan their gun to a family member. It's not responsible. They just don't do it. That's how you're taught. But now, all of a sudden, you can <laughs> come out of a mental hospital and go down to the gun store and buy a gun the next day. It's crazy. So this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you want to stop that. You want a, a society you can live in. You want something you can thrive and your children. Right now I've got people telling me, I'm afraid to let my kids go to the show. I'm afraid go to go to, to, the, to, the, uh, to the mall or whatever because they don't know what's going to I mean, we just don't know. Well, Senator, we have time for
2: one more question. When
3: me and you last talked, this is
2: mine, yeah, you're, you're stuck with me for one more. <laughs> when me and you last talked in November, you were here in Athens, so you're right. in Athens, right yeah. down the street, mm-hmm. for a symposium honoring, honoring your dear friend, the late Senator Johnny Isaacson. And yeah. one of the things that came out during that symposium was you we were sharing the stage with former Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, Roy
3: Blunt.
2: who made the oft repeated joke about senators who look in the mirror and see a president.
3: So oh, you, every, 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 every senator, every, they, they think that, you know, you're in the house you're this. And I can tell you, when I was at House of Delegates in West Virginia, I thought, I'm one of 100. Boy, if I was one of 34, I could do three times as much to help people. And then when I was a state senator, I said, boy, if I was governor, I'd be one of one. I could really do some good stuff. So you always, if you're a public service and that's who you are and you want to help, if you get really charged up because you've changed a person's life, i never forget, I went to a, a, drive, a McDonald's drive-in when I was governor one time. And there was a little lady there, and God bless her, and, and she had, she, you could tell she's had a hard life. And she says, are you, and I had a security guy with me. She says, are you the governor? And I says, I sure am. She says, Mr. Governor, I, I, just, I, I need some dental work. I need my teeth fixed. And I says, honey, today's your lucky day. So I called a friend of mine who's a dentist. And I says, hey, John, today's not your lucky day. <laughs> I'm going to send a little lady to you, and you're going to give her new teeth and fix that. Now you'll feel better than you've done anything you've done. For the last month or year, and sure enough, it did. These things you can do, this is part of life. If that's who you are, and you want to help and give and make things better, then get involved. And if you don't want to run yourself because you don't want to be the spear, you don't want to be the tip of the spear with a throwing thing darts at you, then get involved and get behind someone who you think that you would believe in and could do that. Well
2: Senator, what do you see when you look at yourself in the mirror?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I see uh, a boy from a little town in Farmington, West Virginia, coal mining town, five hundred people. And I'm gonna tell you one thing, if you didn't do your best every day, they were on you. You could if I didn't do good in school, if I messed up, and if I messed up uptown, I'd get a whip and five whips before I got home. And if if and then if you didn't if you didn't give it all your playing ball and didn't do whatever you're doing, you're afraid to go downtown and go into the drugstore because People would be ashamed of you. I mean, that's just how we were raised, and uh, and we just helped everybody. No one had a whole lot, but whatever they had, no one knew they didn't have anything. Yeah. I told them, my this is this is a funny one too. We we lived a, that's that's something. We lived in a garage apartment, three room garage apartment. So everybody said I, said, I was a privileged child. Well, big fancy house, three room garage apartment, big fancy neighborhood. I lived between the tracks and and the, and the creek. And why would I think that? I had unconditional love. No matter what I did, I could mess up so bad, and I knew my grandmother and my mom and my they would love me. I knew that, and that 's a rare thing today to find unconditional love but but uh it's it just i mean this the changing of times and what you deal with today is so much different and um, i 've just seen it and, and i 've seen it through appalachia i 've seen poverty, abject poverty uh, mm. and i 've seen uh, I've got, my state has more deaths, by opiates and drugs than any other state. I got more deaths because I had hardworking people and they got hooked. It was a a business that intentionally targeted West Virginia workers and hooked them and got, bought the doctors off to start giving them pills. And before you knew it, destroyed lives.
2: Well, Senator, that's all the time we have today, but thank you so much for joining us to talk about 2024. Well,
3: it's going to be interesting, but you need to get involved. It's not
2: too late. I'd also like to extend a thank you to the Creative Media Industries Institute here at Georgia State University for their studio space. And thank you for watching. Whether you're here in person or watching from home, we're so happy you could join us. Be sure to subscribe to AJC.com and listen to the Politically Georgia podcast every weekday morning at 10 a.m. on WABE and on your favorite live streaming platform. Thank you, Senator.
3: Thank you, appreciate it very much.